Hey there, and welcome back to the Female Fight Dance Podcast. My name is Erin McHell. I'm your host and the founder of the site. Um, hey, everybody. I know it's been a little bit of a hot minute since we did an episode, and I kind of wanted to do something just kind of casual and fun and just talk about some of the current events and stories going on right now in the MMA world because I feel like there's a lot happening. As usual, the end of the year is always, I feel like, filled with great fights and really stacked cards and lots of headlines. So I wanted to give all of you my take on what's happening and also just kind of give you updates and info in case you're not constantly on bloodyelbow.com or femalefightfans.com <laughs> like I am. Um, so let's get right into it. I want to first talk for a second about last week's 25th anniversary card in Denver. What a show. Seriously, I was blown away by how great the fights were. Just the whole atmosphere and the energy of watching it was electrifying. And I honestly feel like this card was better than probably the last few pay-per-views. It was so, so good. Um, really from top to bottom, I was so impressed with everybody. Um, from Raquel Pennington and Jermaine Durandamy to Cowboy Cerrone and Mike Perry. And, of course, the main event with Korean Zombie and Yair Rodriguez. Oh, my gosh. Like, I mean, I've never seen somebody throw an elbow like that and it land, let alone throwing it at four minutes and 59 seconds of the fifth round and getting a KO flatlined, you know, like that's just unheard of. So crazy, so appropriate for the 25th anniversary show and just, you know, hats off to Ayer Rodriguez. I was like so proud of him, just how he was losing on the scorecards, which I actually thought he was winning the fight, but he was losing on the scorecards. We found out afterward and for him to just rally like that. And if you saw also how once the fight was over, he just collapsed in absolute exhaustion, you know, to have that kind of heart and to be able to keep pressing forward when you're that tired. I mean, that takes some real fucking balls. (laughs) It really does. Um, that's not an easy task. And yeah, I just, I have so much respect for him and just what an incredible, incredible fight. Incredible. Um, and I, I really was so into the whole thing. Um, and revisiting Mike Perry and, uh, Cowboy for a second. Um, I was definitely really, really excited for this fight. I think a lot of people were, um, and I think it was definitely sort of a, one of those question marks in terms of Cowboy's career because he is a little bit older. He's fought in a couple different divisions now. He's never been able to successfully win a title. He's been in a couple title fights. I believe the last one was with Rafael Dos Anjos at 155, um, and He went on a little bit of a losing streak. I believe a three-fight losing streak. Losing to Jorge Masvidal, Darren Till, Leon Edwards. So he definitely needed a win. And needed to have 
a performance just to kind of solidify his place as a top contender um, in the welterweight division, although he's going to be moving down, he said, back to 155. But, um, you know, it was kind of questionable in terms of uh, if Cowboy was going to really be able to keep being you know, in sort of that top tier that he's been in for a long time. Um, cause even though he's lost quite a few fights, he's lost to really, really good guys. So, um, you know, and, and he, he did what he needed to do. Round one submission, it's <laughs> insane arm bar. Um, yeah, I mean, just what, what else is there to say? Right. Um, it was definitely strange, I think, to fans and also Cerrone said to himself to see Mike Perry actually shoot a takedown on him. Um, because, like, why would he do that? <laughs> it was probably not the smartest move. Um, and it proved not to be. Um, so uh, there is a story that came out today um, uh, since Mike Perry. I did an interview um, after the fact um, saying that he thinks the drama between in the camp, because there was, if you're not familiar, this whole, this whole drama and this whole backstory that went into them fighting because Cerrone's trained at Jackson Wink for basically his whole career. And Mike Perry recently joined them um, for his last couple of fights. And then when this fight came around, you know, um, there was the whole, like, who's going to train who, and, um, Jackson Wink refused to train Cowboy because he wasn't going to, like, Mike Winklejohn isn't on his payroll and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I'm going to read you the quote from Mike Perry. So he said, listen, I'm going to tell you something here and it's going to sound crazy. I'm not going to take nothing. (laughs) I'm not going to take nothing away from Cowboy. He won fair and square, but I felt like I was staring defeat in the face that night. I felt like, you know, okay, if it had gone the other way, they would have been like, oh, Cowboy had all the pressure. But me, I was fighting a fight that wasn't my fight. It was Jackson Wink versus Cowboy Cerrone. So it was my coaching that took my body over. It was something, the way that we trained that I ended up with the takedowns on people. I was ending up with takedowns on people. And then their jujitsu wasn't the level of Cowboy Cerrone to counter me. So I think I started, I stared, excuse me, defeat in the face that night. And I got in the cage anyway. I felt like I was going to lose before I ever walked in. Maybe that's just because I lost now, but I just felt like everything was against me. And it was just to make me stronger. I felt like I learned more from that loss than I would have ever learned from a win. That's it. I was looking at the Grim Reaper, and I entered the cage with him. I brought the real Cowboy Cerrone. We were the best two fighters on the planet when we were in that cage, period. Interesting. So, um, yeah, so, um, I don't know if perhaps in the Jackson Wink camp, they encouraged him to take him down, um, but... Yeah, that's definitely an interesting statement. I can kind of understand, I think, where he's coming from on that in terms of um, it being more about the camp versus him 
versus him versus cowboy. Um, but ultimately, you know, if you're the one fighting, you have to take, it's your responsibility, like win, lose or draw, right? So you have to do what you think is right. And you're the one actually fighting, not everybody, uh, who's cornering you or coaching you or what have you. Right. So very interesting. Um, yeah, but good for cowboy. <laughs> um, in sort of like girl boss news, so Misha Tate was just announced to be the new vice president at one. Uh, season one is really taking over, which is weird, but uh, interesting, I suppose. Now they have Demetrius Johnson, they have Eddie Alvarez, now they have Misha Tate in an executive role. First of all, love seeing. Um, a girl in a boss role like this because you still don't really see that you still don't see women really in these executive roles so I really love that and take my hat off to them for hiring her and I think she you know she knows what she's doing she's super intelligent and so invested into the game so I think she's a great choice for them Um, but she did an interview kind of talking about her new uh, position with them and saying that she doesn't identify with what the UFC has become and that um, they've started to take promotion too far and uh, things being kind of exploitative and um, that she prefers things to be done in a more respectful way and the UFC has turned into a promotion that's more about trash talking than what you actually do inside the cage. So, and honestly, the way that she kind of worded it, it seemed like it was a little bit of a dig, not even a little bit, a lot of a dig at the UFC. Um, and I always thought they had a really good relationship, and I know she's had a really good relationship with Dana White, so I don't know if something's like happened there, but um, it definitely wasn't positive in the way that she kind of phrased these comments. Um, and... I I think a lot of, I feel like you are seeing sort of a turn where a lot of fighters are starting to rise up and go against the UFC, where in the past, um, people were a lot more willing to cooperate. Um, So it's interesting to to see, I think honestly, with really like the Connors and the Rondas, especially Connor, um, sort of defying what's been allowed and accepted, um, and people seeing that and, um, saying, Hey, it's not fair that, you know, he doesn't have to do any of these things that he can throw a dolly through a bus window and still get all this special treatment. Like, what about me? Like, you know, why don't I get any of these things? Right. Um, and so you're kind of seeing a lot of resistance now, on the part of fighters just kind of accepting things as status quo. Um, but good for Misha. Um, also coming up, I don't know exactly the date. I probably should, but Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz are going to fight again, which I'm not going to watch it. So I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't know the date, but I just, yeah, I, I, I'm sure I'll watch highlights of it, but that honestly, it scares me. Just the whole idea of, Chuck Liddell fighting again, you know, he he hasn't won, I remember looking this up, like, he hasn't won, I believe, since, like, 2009, 
which is insane. And in his last few fights, he really showed that he couldn't take any damage. And that was what led him to retire. And the fact that he's 48 years old and... I mean, Tito Ortiz is no walk in the park. Like, he's still very much able to perform at a very high level. I mean, he beat Chael in what, like, 18 months ago? So, look at everybody Chael Sonnen's beat recently in Bellator. You know what I mean? And MMA math doesn't always work, but just saying, it's not like, it's not like Tito hasn't been active, and it's not like Tito isn't highly skilled. Um, yeah, he hasn't won. So... Oh, 2007, excuse me. So Chuck Liddell's last win was against Wanderlei Silva at um, UFC 79 in uh, 2007. So, yeah. Um, And uh, they did some open workouts a couple, maybe it was yesterday. But, um, and man, I mean, Chuck Liddell looked sloppy. He looked, he was using just terrible, terrible technique. Um, it was getting out of breath after only like a few minutes. Um, and I, there were some comments on Tito's side saying that he, he thinks that, um, he's standbagging it. So he thinks that he's trying to make himself look bad on purpose so that Tito underestimates him. Um, but I don't know, man. I don't know. He looked pretty serious. (laughs) He looked pretty serious at this open workout. And I don't know if it's in Chuck's nature to like sort of play those kind of mind games. So it's, it's a scary thought. (laughs) Um, so everyone knows that the UFC is moving to ESPN in January and the first fight on the Brooklyn, the first fight on ESPN is going to be a Brooklyn card. Woo! Go Brooklyn! Brooklyn represent. (laughs) Um, and the first fight has been announced um on the card which is Paige Van Zant versus Rachel Ostovich which is like basically eye candy versus eye candy now I think Paige Van Zant is beautiful I don't really see personally the appeal of Rachel Ostovich um but hey a lot of people do so you do you <laughs> um and I actually think it's a decent, it makes sense as a matchup other than the physical look factor. Because um, Paige Van Zandt, she's had a tough, tough road the last couple of years. Um, because she had a really long layoff after her um, loss to Michelle Watterson all the way back two years ago in December 2016. And then... Um, in her last fight, which was in January of this year against Jessica Rose Clark, she broke her arm in the first round and, uh, her arm ended up, it didn't heal properly. And so she had to have surgery. And, um, so she's been out because of that, um, and been injured and so been sidelined for a year, another year. Um, so, and I, and I, I'm a, I actually really like Paige Van Zandt and I know a lot of people give her flack because, you know, she, oh, she's just pretty and she doesn't really know how to fight. She's not really skilled and, um, you know, she doesn't really belong in the UFC, but people forget about when she was actually like on the rise. Like she was beating everybody. She had spectacular finishes. She was really creative and dynamic, explosive. I mean... I remember, like, when, like, before she was on Dancing with the Stars, like, all that stuff, like, um, 
you know, she, she didn't, she really wasn't just like handed opportunities. Like she was winning and like, that's why she was getting pushed. Um, I also have a lot of respect for just like, just her story and everything she's been through. And I, she, you know, she's the kind of fighter that has a lot of heart and she's doing it. You know, she's already been through so many things and, um, like this is her outlet and this is her like taking her life back. And I just, as somebody who kind of also has done similar and been through similar, like I just have a lot of respect for that and what she's trying to do. Um, and ultimately is to like empower herself, empower other people, other women. So I like Paige a lot, but, um, and Rachel is also coming off a loss and then was on the ultimate fighter and didn't do that well. So I think it's kind of, it's not do or die, but sort of in a way for both like they both really need a win. So it's one of those matchups where it's like, okay, like who, like, honestly, like who's going to want it more. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. So I'm excited. Um, and I'm excited to see who else is going to be on that card. Um, but yeah, so what else is happening? Um, gosh, I'm just so excited for the rest of the year. I feel, I'm so excited for, let me we'll talk for a second. I'm excited about the last two pay-per-views of the year. First of all, cause UFC 231 is actually happening on my birthday, on my birthday and like, two title fights I'm so excited for I'm like what like what better timing like how can this have worked out any better I am pumped um so Valentina Shevchenko and Joanna are going to be fighting for the flyweight title um on the 231 card and then Max Holloway and Brian Ortega finally finally are gonna fight I hope I hope everything goes well this time because I I just can't wait to see that like both of them are no they're not both undefeated excuse me but Max Holloway's on, like, a crazy win streak. Brian Ortega is undefeated. And they're kind of opposites, you know? Like, I mean, I think they're both, honestly, pretty well-rounded. But um, Brian wins with his other than Frankie Edgar. But, um, like, that knockout. But in general, he wins because of his slick jujitsu that just is so sharp. And Max wins because he has such dynamic... Uh, crisp striking, right? Um, so very opposite a lot of ways, very classic matchup of striker and grappler, but they're well-rounded. And nobody really has been able to have an answer to either of them. And even Max's losses, he's never really lost like brutally. I believe his last loss was to Conor McGregor back in the day when he was 21 years old. And it was a decision loss. Um, and it was like... It, it wasn't um, like a like someone Conor McGregor just steamrolled over, and, and it was when Max was only twenty one. You know what I mean? So clearly he was still developing. So, um, so I think that that always makes the these kind of fights intriguing when it's like nobody's really been able to crack the code of either of these people. You know, so how is it gonna all sort of align when they? get face to face. I think sometimes these kind of fights almost can go the opposite where both people are so cautious because they understand and like rightfully fear the talents of the other. Um, so sometimes like that can make for a boring fight, but either way, I don't even care. I'm just so excited. Um, and then, you know, I can't believe John Jones is back. I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. 
I'm not a John Jones fan, but it is what it is, I guess. And he's fighting Alexander Gustafson. I mean, I, listen, I mean, that's a, it's a good fight. It's a good fight for them to make. I think it makes sense for the division. Um, and, you know, just historically, his first fight with Alex was definitely his closest. A lot of people think Alex won that fight. And both of them have been on long layoffs. Um, I think it just, I think it makes sense in all ways, on paper, not on paper. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it is a little unknown, like what's going to happen. I mean, John's probably going to win just because that's just the way the world works. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's definitely not a uh, pre-written conclusion, right? So... I'm really interested. I'm really intrigued. And then obviously, you know, the Nunez and Cyborg fight, like that kind of sells itself. Um, champion versus champion. The first time we've seen that on the women's side, which I think is cool in and of itself. Um, I'm not really a fan of either girl, honestly, but, um, a lot of people have said, well, if somebody's going to meet Cyborg, it's going to be Amanda. And I don't really agree with that, but I can understand why people would say that. Um, I don't think Nunez's power is going to really translate like that um, into 145. She has fought at 145 before. I do want to also note that because I don't know if anybody really has, but she has fought before at 145 in Strike Force uh, back in the Dizay. Um, <laughs> my God, I can't believe I just said that. But um, she was in 145 as well as Ronda in Cyborg. So she's, um, it's not like 145 is really even a new weight class for her, but. Um, but I think her fighting cyborg, like, I don't see her power, like, translating like that. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't see it. And honestly, too, I think if she can't really beat Valentina Shevchenko, which in their last fight, it was super close, but I had it for Valentina. Um, I don't, I don't see how she can beat cyborg. I just, yeah. And Valentina is a much smaller girl than Amanda is, you know, so uh, yeah, I just, I don't think so. Um, and, and Cyborg said something really interesting at the press conference, um, about Amanda being a pressure fighter and she likes to go forward and push the pace. But if somebody does that to her, she gets really uncomfortable. And I agree, actually. I think, um, I think that is a way to easily frustrate her is to not sort of let her dictate the pace and, um, sort of outpace and outwork the pressure fighter, right? Um, so I think if Cyborg's smart, she'll just implement that exactly. You know, she's going to be in her face. She's not going to give her a break. She's not going to let her, um, like, stick and move, right? So, um, yeah, but I think it's going to be a really good fight. I'm excited. Um, both of these uh, pay-per-views are definitely really solid, Um Gosh, I don't know. Maybe we'll end it here. Um, I feel like there's a lot going on right now, though, in the MMA world, and um, you know, it's. I think it's always a good time to be a fight fan, honestly. Even even when shit hits fan, or even when there's just so much drama and so much bullshit going on, which. I feel like there has been a lot of that lately. Like, you know, we're here because we love fights. We love 
to see two warriors go at it and um there's just nothing like this sport out there you know and like despite all the bullshit and all the drama and all the back and forth and all the trash talking and all of the stuff that happens in the media um you know it doesn't really matter at the end of the day and I think no matter what the sport is going to keep going and keep thriving and surviving because people are always going to like to watch fights it's just part of literally part of nature um, which I think is a beautiful thing so thanks everybody for listening if you enjoy this episode and our content in general please please rate us five stars leave a positive review it really really helps the show um and make sure to check out our content on femalefightfans.com our merchandise everything's going to be linked below thanks everybody so much for listening i hope you have a great week and we will be back soon with a new episode